Leviticus 15. Yahweh spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and tell them, When any man has a discharge from his body, because of his discharge he's unclean. This shall be his uncleanness in his discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body has stopped from his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which he who has the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything he sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. He who sits on anything on which the man who had the discharge sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. He who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. If he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whatever saddle he who has the discharge rides on shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. He who carries those things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whomever he who has the discharge touches, without having rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. The earthen vessel, which he who has discharged touches, shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. When he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count to himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in running water and shall be clean. On the eighth day, he shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before Yahweh to the door of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. The priest shall offer them the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. The priest shall make atonement for him before Yahweh for his discharge. If any man has an omission of semen, then he shall bathe all his flesh in water and be unclean until the evening. Every garment and every skin which the cement is on shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and there is an emission of semen, they shall both bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. If a woman has a discharge and her discharge in her flesh is blood, she shall be in her impurity seven days. Whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. Everything that she lies on in her impurity shall be unclean, Everything also that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whoever touches anything that she sits on shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. If it is on the bed or anything she sits on, whether he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. If any man lies with her and her monthly flow is on him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed he lies on shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not in the time of her period, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her period, all the days of the discharge of her uncleanness shall, shall be as in the days of her period. She is unclean. Every bed she lies on, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her period. Everything she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her period. 
Whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count to herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. On the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest to the door of the tent of meeting. The priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before Yahweh for the uncleanness of her discharge. Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, so they will not die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law of him who has a discharge, and of him who has an omission of semen, so that he is unclean by it, and of her who has her period, and of a man or woman who has a discharge, and of him who lies with her who is unclean. Well, these are interesting things to be talking about. <laughs> and uh, you might think to yourself, what relevance does this have for us today? Well, there are things, believe it or not, that it applies to us today, but not the actual things that it's talking about. Um, these were laws for the children of Israel in the desert at that time, and they weren't laws about morals, like they weren't sin or it wasn't sinful or unsinful. These were ceremonially clean or unclean situations. In other words, it was talking about things which were appropriate or things which were inappropriate. And um, I guess, guess that an example that I can give you is, is way back in the book of Exodus, um, towards the end of Exodus, there was a rule about priests. It said that they weren't to build an altar that went up steps. And the reason for that was, I guess people didn't wear underwear. And so if they had to walk up steps, they would end up at this position where they were kind of exposed from underneath towards the altar. And so their nakedness would be exposed towards God's altar. And so that was considered inappropriate. And if you think about it, um, we all wear underwear, but if, if for some reason someone didn't wear underwear, and we wouldn't know, but that's not a sin. But um, you can see how in that situation in Exodus, it would just be inappropriate. So say for example, um, I'm having dinner and I've got a special guest around and um, it would be inappropriate for me to say burp in front of my guests. <laughs> it's not a sin, it's just inappropriate. Or if one of my children does it, I, it, it would be inappropriate for me to not correct them. You know, what would be appropriate would be for my children to immediately say, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, that's okay. But if they burp and just laugh at it, um, it would be inappropriate for me to not rebuke them in front of the guests. So you can see how there's certain behavior that's appropriate and inappropriate. Well, that's kind of what it's like talking about things being ceremonially clean and unclean. So these passages, they talk about the, the state in which you're clean for the purposes of approaching God. And all of it is, it's not about whether it's sinful or unsinful, but it's all about I guess building up a high picture of our God who's holy and who's pure and we can't just treat him haphazardly. You know, like we wouldn't, today we wouldn't just say, pray in a way where it was careless. We wouldn't say, oh God, just, we wouldn't pray in a, 
in a rude way like that. But when we pray, we pause and we, we, we realize I'm coming into the presence of God. We treat him with due respect. That's the proper way of approaching it. But if we didn't, even though I guess technically it's not sinful, it's just not proper. And so this is what I teach my children. You know, if my children are like, if it's bedtime and I want to, and we're saying bedtime prayers, you know, it's for me, they've got to lay still while I pray and not wriggle and not be silly and not talk while I'm praying because these are not the proper way to approach God. When we're praying, we must do it properly. And so even though it's talking about all these things, it's building up a picture for the children of Israel about a God who's holy, who's proper, who deserves respect, who can't be treated casually, has to be approached in the right manner, with the right attitude uh, to, towards him. And so I think for us, um, you know, there's the, we have to contemplate what's our attitude in approaching God. So, you know, when it's, about, when it's time to pray, we don't come in a flippant attitude. We make sure we're humble, we're grateful, we're respectful. We come to God and we say, Lord, Heavenly Father, you know, I come before you in Jesus' name. And we're mindful of our neediness. Now, and with all of these attitudes, we approach God in a proper way, in a way that's, I guess you could say, ceremonially clean or ceremonially correct. But if we weren't, let's say that we were, we were flippant or, or careless. Well, we would be ceremonially unclean. We, we should really sort ourselves out and get our hearts in the right place to approach God. But sometimes it's not just the moment of prayer, sometimes it's the whole of life. Like say, for example, you're living a life where you really don't care for God. Let's say you're approaching God asking for forgiveness of sins, but at the same time, you're very unforgiving and very judgmental. You're approaching God in a manner that's not consistent with a type of prayer. So even though we live under grace, there's still a right way to approach God. And if you don't, your prayers are not heard. And in the New Testament, Peter even says that husbands, you know, be mindful of your wife. Um, you know, if you don't have the right attitude towards her, God won't hear your prayers. Well, this is the great. This is under grace, under the new covenant. Even there, there's, I guess you could say, like a ceremonially clean kind of a way to approach God. There's a, a right way to approach him. Or otherwise, it, it's not proper. So... Passages like this, you know, it seems like it's just talking about things that don't relate to us, but we see that God begins with physical things that people understand, and then as time goes on, he's able to use them to explain a deeper meaning, and that there's a proper way of approaching God, and, you know, we need to have our hearts in the right place to approach him. This isn't about being worthy or unworthy, but this is just mindful of us having a holy God. And um, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to tell you a funny little story that, that's about this. So, Lord, I thank you for this the lesson that we see here. And I'm mindful, Lord, that a lot of us that have things in our lives that are probably not appropriate, Lord, forgive us. Help us to be people that, that are mindful of the discharges, the things that come out of us. Help us, Lord, to, to not say foolish things. Help us not to discharge rubbish or coarse joking or foolishness or swearing or hate. Lord, things that come out of us which are discharges which are unholy. 
Help us to be clean. Help us to be people who are able to come into your presence with due and proper respect and to walk in the grace of the Lord. Amen. Um, in the world today, of course, there are still people who are Jewish. Now, you've got all different types of Jews in the world today. You've got Messianic Jews. So these are people that are, you know, they might have been ethnically Jewish, but they've come to find Christ. And so they're, they're a believer like you or I, but they, they culturally keep practicing the Jewish things. Well, that's fine. As long as you're not trusting in Jewish practices to save you. You know, we trust in Christ to save us. And if you practice these Jewish things as a cultural thing, like a lot of us have other cultural practices, like we might remember, I've got, um, I'm an Australian citizen, but my wife's an American citizen. And, and in our family, we remember, say, you know, Australian national holidays as well as American national holidays. And we even, from time to time, will celebrate Senko de Mayo. So these are cultural things. We don't trust in them to save us, but we do them for enjoyment. So I think it's a lot of fun to, you know, to remember the Passover or things like that for cultural enjoyment, but not trusting it to save you or thinking it makes you a better Christian. It doesn't. There are but there are certainly Jews in the world, Messianic Jews, who do keep these things for cultural reasons and God bless them. But there are other Jews in the world who do keep these things because of the law. They're not saved. They're not trusting in Christ. They don't know he's the Messiah. But these are people like, say, for example, the Hasidic Jews that are in New York or the ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel. And so for them, you couldn't touch a woman who's having her monthly period. But the problem is these men don't know when a woman is or isn't having her monthly period. Any woman could be. So their practice is to just not touch women at all. So sometimes you'll hear a story of, uh, say, a Jewish man who hops on a plane to board a flight and next to him is a woman <laughs> so he'll request not to sit next to her and it sounds terrible but he's just trying to follow these practices and I mean technically um, there's probably been women on that plane all day long sitting on those seats and technically he shouldn't sit on a seat that a woman has sat on and I guess he just doesn't know so he's got a clear conscience but I heard a funny story of a woman that was trying to get her own way and was having this confrontation with this Jewish fellow and said, if you don't give me what I want, I'm gonna to touch you. <laughs> so, uh, and so of course he ended up giving in and doing what she wanted because he didn't wanna risk being touched and you know, being unclean until evening. So I think that's all very funny, but I'm very grateful that these laws don't apply to us today and we've instead got the blood of Jesus Christ and we're under the new covenant. There's a lot that we have to be grateful for. So anyway, as we're discovering, there's a lot in Leviticus and even in this chapter on bodily discharges. Anyway, join me tomorrow for Leviticus 17.